Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to tell you that something uh, exciting going on on property over these days are people being baptized, and last Sunday when we gathered, we saw three people baptized, and then today when we gather on property uh, for worship uh, this weekend, we will have four people being baptized, and I mentioned that. One is you don't get to see those baptisms uh, on the online services, but they're happening. And then also I want you to know, because there may be some of you watching and listening that need to be baptized. You say, why would I need to be baptized? Well, there's a reason for you to be baptized. And that is that you've become a believer in Jesus Christ and you never have been baptized by immersion. And what we practice according to scripture is believer's baptism. And that means that when you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it could be this very moment, this day, when you're listening, or it could have been 30 years ago, that uh, you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What scripture shows us is that we declare that publicly. We make that known. And we make that known by baptism. And so when a person stands in the water, it's a picture of their old life. When they're lowered into the water, it's a picture of their old life being buried, their sins being buried. When you rise up out of the water, it's a picture of your sins being washed away. It's a picture of what happens on the inside. And when Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins, and you receive him for forgiveness. And even when a person walks out of the water, it's a picture of uh, them going forth in newness of life. And so I want to encourage you to uh, get in touch with us, get in touch with me. You can do that by sending a note to carlos at watkinsville.org. And let's talk about scheduling the time for you to take this step of obedience, identifying as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're never too old to be baptized. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've trusted him for forgiveness of your sins, then you're never too young for baptism. And so you need, to, you need to take that step and let us celebrate with you in that. I mention it also because what I share with you today from Ephesians is really meant for those who have been saved, those who are believers, those who have believed that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins and they've surrendered their life to him. What I'm going to say today really just doesn't matter if you've never been saved. But if you have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then it matters eternally. It, it, it matters tremendously. In fact, I would lift a word right out of the text we're going to read today and say that there are immeasurable reasons uh, that uh, this passage matters to a believer. And we're going to look at that and talk about that today. Uh, something exciting happened in my life recently, and that is I bought some tools. Now, that may not be that big a deal to a lot of you, but it's big to me. When I have had projects to do around the house, my thinking has usually been, 
uh, who do I know that could help me with this? Not what do I have that could help me with this? And, but um, I'm, um, I've bought some tools, and I think I get it now. I, I've, I've got the fever, the tool fever. I, I came out of the store with this box, and I got home, and I opened it up, and literally my heart was racing. I took it out of the packaging, and I smelled the smell of a new tool and the new packaging, and I brought it out, and I'm just looking at it. I'm not using it. I'm just looking at it, and I'm thinking, this thing is beautiful. Look at the shape and the design and the way it holds and fits in your hand. It's even got these three lights on it that light up when you use it. It's got a trigger on it. I'm thinking, you got to love a tool that has a trigger on it, and, and I'm just looking at it and just feeling pretty good about this new tool until I realize um, something's missing. And I, it, I can't get it to work. And I'm so frustrated because I, I realize that um, something's missing. And it's not that great of a tool if you don't have all that you need or you don't know all that you need for it to work. Well, in our study of Ephesians... If we stopped where we stopped last week at verse 14, we see how beautiful salvation is. We see how awesome salvation is. But if we don't go on to verse 15, uh, we'll be missing something about salvation. The first 14 verses tell us about salvation being done. And that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But verses 15 to the end of the chapter tells us what salvation does. Salvation is done. The work is done. God the Father chooses. God the Son redeems. And God the Holy Spirit seals. We're still alive. We're still living. Now what? Is there anything else? And what you'll see today in Ephesians 1 beginning in verse 15 that this sealing work of the Holy Spirit and this redeeming work of the Son and this choosing work of the Father really is the starting point, not the ending point. And even though salvation is done, there is still a life to live of what salvation does. And, and Paul presents to us in these next few verses, he's like... I, now I want you to know what it means. I want you to know what else there is in God. And, and, and we, even as I mentioned baptism and salvation, that's not the end point. When a person is baptized, that's not the end. That's the beginning point. That's the starting point. And now Paul begins to show that there's something else for us to know. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15, for this reason, what reason? All those things that he's just talked about in salvation. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And let me just... Stop there and say, 
He's saying, yes, salvation is done. We talked about that in the first 14 verses. But now having heard about your salvation, having heard about your faith, there's something else that I'm praying you will know. And he says, I'm praying that the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurably, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And what I want us to see today in this passage is this, that once salvation is done, there's something that salvation does. It gets us started. There's more for us to know. There's more for us to grasp. There's more for us to hold on to and look forward to. And how that happens in our life, listen, how that happens in our life is through the prayers of believers for the Spirit to work in the lives of other believers. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he begins to tell them what his prayers are. And he really gives us an education here about how to pray for others. And he gives us an education of who to pray to for others and he's praying to the father he's praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the, the, the father of glory for the spirit to do something what a great lesson for me in praying for you praying for my kids praying for my wife praying for other believers praying for those I lead what a great lesson for you in praying for your small group or praying for your class or praying for your ministry area, praying for your friends. Here's how we pray for them. And I, I want you to see that first that there is this, uh, there's this motivation for prayer in Paul's life. What motivated him to pray? What motivated the Apostle Paul to pray was the testimony of other believers in Ephesus. He saw their witness, he saw their, excuse me, he heard of their witness and he heard of their testimony and what he heard about them motivated him to pray for them. Have you ever sensed that? You hear about how someone's doing in the Lord and what it does is that it, it moves you to pray even more for them and that's what Paul does. Notice what motivated him. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. That's what stirred him to pray for them. He heard of them and he said, when I, when I hear about your faith in Jesus, I just get grateful. And when I heard about your love for others, I just get grateful. 
imagine this. What if the testimony was, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your lack of love for others. That would not be very motivating to Paul. In fact, he would say something's wrong with your faith. Something's wrong with your life. And you see him tie these together, not just here, but in other places. You see that to be right with God affects how we relate to others. And here he's celebrating the fact that it's coming together in the believers in Ephesus that their faith in Jesus Christ is not separated from the way they relate to others. He, he says, I, I hear of your faith and I hear of your love and I just give thanks. And I pray for you. I remember you in your prayers. Well, as you think about those around you, their faith and their love for others, you're motivated to pray. What do we pray? I know so many of my prayers are unfortunately shallow. And, and many times I, I can think of how I pray and I would say to someone, hey, I'm praying for you. And it's actually just a statement, but not so much of what I'm praying. In fact, I have to wonder how many times do we actually, you know, when we say, hey, I'm praying for you. I hope you have a good day. I'm praying for you. Uh, be blessed. Here's, I want you to see that there is this revelation of prayer. Paul prays for a revelation. And it's a great, a great lesson for us to grab a hold of how we would pray for others. He, he says, I'm remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may here comes the prayer. Here's his prayer. He, he's, gonna, he's writing it out. It's, it's on a page. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He said, I, here's how I'm, I, and if we said it out loud, I'm praying for you that you will know God. I'm praying that God's going to show you more of who he is. I, I'm, I'm praying that God is going to reveal something. I'm praying that the spirit of God will give you wisdom and revelation. Doesn't that feel different? Doesn't that feel rich? Doesn't that feel a little deeper and a more genuine to say, I'm praying that, the, that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And then verse 18, that your eyes of your hearts will be enlightened that you may know what is. And then he gives three things that he hopes are that we have revelation of. But back up. The, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. Paul is saying is. All of that stuff we said about salvation. That we said is done. I want you to be able to know more and more of the riches of that. I want you to be able to know God. And is there really anything richer in life. Than knowing God. More of who he is. More of how he works. More of what he's done. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. This is what I'm praying. That what you've heard in your head or heard in your ears, that it moves to your heart. Your heart is enlightened. It affects your whole being. And he, he gives three things. He says, I want you to, I, I'm praying that you will be enlightened 
in these three areas. Here, here's what I think is happening. Paul has been seeing these things himself, himself, and he knows it's not because somebody just told him these things. He knows it's because of what the Spirit taught him. And if it's going to happen in their heart, the Spirit's going to have to do it. He could tell them these next three things. It'd just be head knowledge. They might could give it back on a test, but could they give it back in life? And, and he said, this is something the Spirit's going to have to do, and I'm praying that he'll do it. And it's these three things. He says in, in, in verse, 19, verse 18, what is the hope to which he has called you? And then what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? He said, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, in their life, would you let them know the hope, number one, to which they are called? It's a work of the Spirit. Would you do that, Spirit? And, and what is that hope of the Spirit? That hope, I mean, that hope of the calling, hope to which He has called you, is a sense that, yes, salvation is done, but that's not all. Salvation also is about the future. There is a reason to hope now because of what God is calling you to. That word calling or which he has called you, that refers to salvation. And, and in our salvation, yes, done in the past, redeemed by the Son, sealed in the Spirit. But it's also something that's forward-looking. And he's saying, you, I want the Spirit to show you this hope you have because of your calling to salvation it helps me to think about here, about, um, uh, imagine if it said this, I want you to know what is the dread. I want you to know what there is to dread in your calling. You, have you ever had a, something scheduled that you dreaded? And for, I, I just, for me, it'd be a dentist appointment. If I just know if it's Monday and I know I've got a dentist appointment on Friday, my week's ruined. I, I'm just dreading the whole week. And, but if I know at the end of the week uh, about something else and you can just fill in the blank and it gives me a different perspective on the whole week. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, I want the Spirit of God to open the eyes of your heart and to see what's out there in the future. And no matter how dark it looks right now, how discouraging it looks right now. How much in despair you are in right now. Maybe lift your eyes because of what he's calling you to in the future. I want you to know that. And then he prays, secondly, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I've often thought of that as being what I inherit. The way this phrase is put in scripture, it's talking about what God inherits. And he said, I want the Spirit of God to show you the riches that God has in the glorious inheritance of his saints. He's saying, I want you to know that one day when you're with him, God sees all of his children being with him as a glorious inheritance. Maybe there's a verse in the Old Testament there is a verse in the Old Testament that says children are a heritage from the Lord. 
it, 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 it shows us, it tells us something about how children can be precious and treasured. And here we have this glimpse of that, they're, that God's children are like riches to him. They're a glorious inheritance to him. We have 10 people that make up our immediate family right now. Five kids and two spouses and one that's soon to be a third spouse. So there's really 10 of us. And in this 10, I, uh, several weeks ago, Carla said, our, our wife, their mom, Carla said, this summer, sometime, I need all my kids together. And I said, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. They live in different states. They got different jobs. They got different schedules. We can put a week out there and say maybe sometime during that week, eventually all of you could pass through but we're not going to be able to all get together. And she looked at me and she said, this summer, at least three days, I want all my kids together under one roof. So we put the date out there. And, and, and you know what happened? They all got there. And on that Sunday night at the beach, when all ten people had arrived, I looked at her, she looked at me, I looked back at her, and I saw it. And there was this peace, there was this joy, there was this excitement where you could just tell she was like, that's what I wanted. And I look at this passage of Scripture, it's like Paul saying, Spirit of God, illumine believers' eyes of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There is a day coming that God actually is looking forward to of us being with him. And he goes on. He says, I want you to, I, I, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. I want you to, I, I'm praying that you'll know the riches of glorious inheritance. And then number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? It was like Paul knew that they could be assured of their salvation, but they might be missing the power that's available for living. And for these believers to know the power that was available for them to live this life, the Spirit had to open their eyes. And he describes it, and he gets to talking, and it's like he can't stop. He just keeps adding words and adding words and adding words. But he says, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness. And that tells us right up front that no matter how we illustrate or no matter how we try to communicate how great God's power is, we're not going to be able to do it. It's immeasurable. So it's definitely not the work of the speaker. It's the work of the Spirit that would be able to show us even more of the power. And, and, and here's, here's his explanation of it. He says the only way to explain it is to look at what God did in the resurrection. And there's earthly, there's no power like death. Heavenly there's no power like resurrection. And the power of resurrection is greater than the power of this earth. And he says, look at it. Here's the power you have. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according 
What's the power like? It's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand, and then later he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. What power is the Spirit of God going to reveal to you? It's the power that was the power that raised Jesus, seated Jesus, and placed Jesus above all things. I don't even know how to speak of it. I don't know how to illustrate it. I just know, Spirit of God, would you please, in the listeners today, in the speaker today, would you give us wisdom and revelation that somehow, some way in this life, we could grab a hold of the power that is working in us like it raised him and seated him and put him on the throne. Now, in some ways, it's discouraging because I might see a situation where I think, I wish, I wish my group would grow. I wish they'd get it. Or I wish the church would grab a hold of this. Or I, I, I wish my kid would get this. Or I wish I could get it. And if there's a, a book I could read or a sermon I could hear. And, and actually what you find out, it's a prayer that needs to be prayed and answered. And so the only thing that I can the, 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 the big thing that I can do is, is to be praying and saying, Lord, would your spirit work? Just like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. So there's this motivation for prayer. And Paul was motivated to pray for them because of their faith in Christ and their love for others. And then there's this revelation of prayer. When we pray for others, think about this. You think, what, what difference would prayer make? Your prayers to the to the Father for the Spirit to do work could be what gives that group or that person hope. The hope of their calling. A sense of the glorious inheritance they are to their Heavenly Father. It could be what gives them the grasp of immeasurable power. What a difference it makes to pray for someone. The, the end of this prayer, I would call a celebration. A celebration from prayer. Because he, he begins to write about Jesus Christ. And it's like praise just erupts in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. What the Apostle Paul does is like he's saying, I'm praying for you that you would know God more, that the Spirit of God would open your eyes, that you would know the riches you have, that you would know the power you have. And when he starts talking about the power that raised Jesus Christ, it turns into this praising prayer for who Jesus is. And you know that's what happens when we, when the Spirit of God starts showing us all that we have in salvation. It just calls forth praise in us. 
Today, as I wrap up, I'm praying that um, the Spirit of God would make me a, a better prayer. I'm praying that you would become a more effective prayer. How? By praying in this way. By praying for others that the Spirit of God would do what only He can do in their life. And then I'm also praying today that very prayer for you as you listen to this message. I'm praying that the Spirit of God today would allow you to know the hope of your calling. The riches of his glorious inheritance in you and the immeasurable greatness of his power. You know, it's funny, this toolbox, what it was missing was power. And I got a I got that battery. Now it's not missing anything. Just hoping and praying that the Spirit of God would do something in your heart where you'd be able to say, yeah, salvation was done, but now I know what salvation does. I know a little bit more of the power of Christ and the riches of knowing him and the hope for what I have. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, would you do what only you could do with this message? Make us prayers and open our eyes, Lord. I pray the prayer Paul prayed for the Ephesians would be the prayer answered in our hearts today by your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name.